Morning hugs. Hey guys, how are you? Doing good? Awesome. Well, I'm going to set my timer. We're going to get to work here. Uh, thanks for having me in the house today. I have to first confess sin in the, in the onset here. Whenever I come up to like Carroll County, I get some serious truck envy. And it happened this morning. I pulled in. It was early. Not too many people here. It was really sweet, like Silverado, something, whoever, nice truck, whoever that belongs to. Uh, really clean, pristine, and it just, just gets up in there because I got to admit, I am a minivan driver. <laughs> Have been for 16 years. We bought it when my daughter was born. And, but our van, now I'm going to flex on the van for a second because just a couple weeks ago, I took some pictures to show you. I can go toe-to-toe with that truck out there. So this is a whole kitchen inside of a minivan <laughs> and a bedroom on top. I'm at the dump. That's the side view. Here's the rear view. You can fit so much in a minivan. Like, seriously, I will contend with the Z71, and I even had to get my flex. This is my minivan at the dump selfie flex right there. <laughs> and I bring that up because, uh, A, I'm really not cool, uh, <laughs> but... If you drive a minivan, take heart, okay? But I bring this up because our minivan, which is going to roll 300,000 miles probably in the next month or two, is fulfilling its purpose on this planet. Like when it rolls into minivan heaven, it's going to get a well done, good and faithful. You, you hauled kids, you went to the dump, you did everything you asked you know, you were asked to do, and everything that is made is made for a purpose, and our minivan is completely fulfilling its purpose. And I want that just to be rattling in your mind for a minute because everything that is made is made for a purpose. And we're going to key in in a couple of minutes here on one of our main purposes in Christ. And now we talk about like our purpose on this planet. Ultimately, our purpose is to know and to walk with our creator. But when it comes to following Jesus, the Apostle Paul lasers in on something that I think is really important, but also very easy to miss in this Christian life. So we're going to jump into a small text of the scripture this morning, but before we do, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to pause here for a second to thank you for your altogether good, helpful, and practical word. And now, as we sit under the authority of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you change us from the inside out. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus this morning, and all God's people said, amen. Well, before we get to our key verse, let me just set the context. It comes from the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. And you don't need to like have memorized Ephesians chapter 2, but let me tell you what happens at the beginning of Ephesians 2. There's this big theme that Paul's reminding us that in the first couple of verses, like we were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, far from God, alienated from the family of Christ, walking in the course of this world with the prince of the power of the air. It's dark and gloomy and hopeless. But then in verse 4, but God steps in, says, I'm bringing you back. Jesus rolls on the scene and transfers us from the dominion of death and darkness into the kingdom of light. And that whole situation of salvation comes by way of a gift. 
And this is the summary statement that sets us up for our key verse this morning. The summary statement is Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Paul reminds us, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And I know for many of us, this is just a reminder of how things work. And I know you're a good Bible-taught church, but this is an important thing to remember on the onset because we live in a very religiously-minded world today. And what I mean by that is, if you were just to randomly, awkwardly stop somebody at Walmart or Target, man on the street style, and say, hey, if God is real and heaven exists, how do you think you get in? The typical American answer is going to be, well, I just hope my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds and I'll be led into the good place. And so most Americans, they picture this heavenly scale that if I can get more good than bad, then God's going to be cool with me. But the picture that the Bible paints is that there is no scale. We go from death to life, not by a scale, but by a gift. A gift that has to be received by faith. And that gift was the fact that Jesus, the second member of the Trinitarian Godhead, took on flesh, dwelt among us, lived this perfect life, died a sacrificial death, was raised from death three days later, and then he stares us squarely in the eye and says, I want you to have my righteousness do you want to take it? And we receive that gift and everything changes. He takes our sin, he takes our guilt, he takes our shame, and then he gives us a new life with a new purpose and new meaning and a helper in the person of the Holy Spirit, and we're off and running. It is a crazy thing that happens in this Christian life. But it happens by his grace, by his gift. So now let's look at the main verse that I want to explore with us, and one I think that's super important for the American church, and perhaps even you sitting here today. It's Ephesians 2.10. So we've set our context, we've got our summary verse, we're all on the same page. You guys ready to jump in with me? All right. Like three people. All right. <laughs> let's roll with it. Us three. Let's go. Here's our main verse. Let me read the whole thing, and then I just want to slow this thing down and explore it together. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this first little part of this verse, for we are his workmanship, that word workmanship means something manufactured, like a poem created and assembled with care and intentionality. We have been put together, we have been made, manufactured, spiritually speaking, rolling off the assembly line of grace, created to be something new with great care. And remember, just like my Honda Odyssey that's going to be rolling 300,000 miles, anything that is made is made for a purpose. And that is the case for us as well. We have been put together. But before we look at our purpose, let me throw out a phrase to you that I find helpful. When I think of us being workmanship, I don't wake up in the morning thinking, oh, praise the Lord, I'm workmanship. Something a little easier for me to grab a hold onto is, well, I'm a grace-built person. I'm built by grace. He's put me together. It's his grace. It's his gift. And now I'm new. I'm built I'm something different inside, a new creation from the inside out. I'm a grace-built person. 
So then Paul goes on to say, what is our purpose as grace-built people? We are created in Christ Jesus for what, Paul? What is it that we're supposed to do? What is our great purpose in this life, our calling to be fulfilled? He simply says, we, as grace-built people, have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works. Good works are those rubber meets the road, no kidding, actionable things that you're putting into practice, expending time or energy or money on for the benefit of a neighbor. Good works aren't just those things that live on the inside walls of your mind, the things that you've learned in the scriptures and the things that are good to know. The good works are when all of that good stuff up there starts to come out in real and practical ways. It's the doing. It's the action. It's the life. Paul says that we were made for this. So in other words, another phrase up to this point that I like to play around with is we are grace-built people meant to grace-bomb people. Grace-built people, grace-bomb people. Grace-built people, grace-bomb people. Now, what in the world are we talking about when we're talking about this idea of grace bomb? Let me define grace bomb this way. A grace bomb is a surprising act of love motivated by Jesus. That's what a grace bomb is. Because God's grace is kind of bomb-like if you think about it. When you turn the pages of the scriptures, his grace is unexpected, undeserved, can drop out of the clear blue sky. It totally disrupts people's lives. It wrecks people's lives, but for the good, for the better. One small example of a grace bomb getting dropped is when you look in the New Testament and you see that guy Saul. Saul hated the church. He hated Christians. He was dragging Christians out to kill them. And then all of a sudden, while he was an enemy, while he was persecuting the church, he's knocked off of his horse, lightning striked, he's blinded, and Jesus talks to him. The guy's world is completely obliterated, but for the good. And then Saul goes on to become Paul the Apostle, and he writes most of the New Testament, becomes one of the most prolific church planners the world has ever known. And your faith, the fact that we're sitting here today, has a lot to do with this guy named Paul, who was grace-bombed out of the clear blue sky. And when we talk about grace bombing, we're talking about just giving a tiny little taste of that amazing grace that God has and gives at his disposal. So let me give you an example. So we're all on the same page. This is one of the very first grace bomb stories that ever came in in the movement. It was several years ago. This was from a lady named Monica. She wrote into the gracebomb.org website, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. And she says, I was at the airport waiting for my flight, sitting at the gate with a terrible cold, and suddenly a very nice guy gave me a bag with tissue paper, a small box with cinnamon, ginger, and honey, earplugs, and an iced tea. He wished me to feel better. And then she says, that was one of the best surprises I have ever had in my life. 
Why was it one of the best surprises she's ever had in her life? Because she was there by herself, and then this dude out of nowhere just comes, is, sees her, is aware of her, draws near to her, blesses her, wishes her to feel better, and then he moves on, and she's saying, wait, what was that? Now, what was cool about that incident is that she was able to know that that was motivated by Jesus. And I'll tell you how that worked in a little bit. So there's this exciting truth. We're still just in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now here's an exciting proposition if you just slow down to let this sink in. Which God prepared beforehand. This means that as a grace-built person, meant to grace-bomb people, in your everyday walk of life, you just might be walking into a divine appointment. What you think is just like the random neighbors that live around you, or the Starbucks barista, or your realtor, or your teacher, or your coworker, and they just happen to be there, and they're kind of annoying, you kind of want to like ignore them. Those people, human beings with souls, who probably need Jesus more than they need their next breath, those instances just might be divine appointments that God has prepared in advance for you to walk in. This should probably give us a little bit more attention when we leave the house, if this is the case, if this is true. I mean, think about it. Let me just put it this way. Let's just say... You heard today through the grapevine that Brad Pitt was coming to church this morning. You just heard it. It was, a, it was a legitimate rumor. You confirmed it with a few other people. And when you came to church today, you were probably just a little bit more attentive, right? You might be like a single lady or something like that. You might have just like dressed it up a little bit nicer, put on the better kicks, a little bit more curls on the hair because you're coming to church today because somebody said Brad Pitt was coming to church today. So you get into church today and yeah, I mean, clearly we are here to worship the King of Kings, but I mean, you're also probably just seeing if the rumor's true, seeing, looking around, seeing if you can glimpse those lies. I know he's getting old, but like I'm an old guy. He's like, who's popular? I don't know, Brad Pitt, maybe he's popular. Point being, you're a little bit more attentive because you've been told that there might be this thing. Well, it's true in your normal, boring, mundane, unsupernatural, everyday life that there are things that the creator of the universe has superintended to happen. And don't you think we'd just be a little bit more perked up and observant for those things all around us that could be happening. Let me share one more story of what I think could have very well have been a divine appointment. These are two grace bomb stories in one. They came in within one week of each other. The first is from the person who received or who gave the grace bomb, and the second one was the person who received the grace bomb. So this is how the story goes. Sherry wrote this in. She says, I was going out the door at Sam's Club, and there was a woman in front of me with a teenage daughter. She was so sweet and patient with this beautiful teenager that was mentally challenged. I gave her a card and some money and explained that the love I saw between the two of them made my day. She asked me if she could give me a hug, and she said, thank you, Jesus. 
So that was an interaction from a woman leaving Sam's Club. God tugs her heart. She sees an opportunity. For whatever reason, she blesses this woman. The woman gives her a hug, says, thank you, Jesus. And then a week later, I heard from that woman. They don't know each other. But Jacqueline wrote this. I have a daughter who has cerebral palsy and severe mental illness. I was shopping at Sam's Club and just had completed my order. It was a stressful day. I spent my last money on items hoping to stretch out the food in my pantry. I had just finished praying. It seems like I had just said AMEN in all caps when I was grace bombed. So here's Jacqueline's perspective. It's a tough day. She's got her own family life that she's running. She's aware of, you know, how things are looking in the pantry. She's checking out at Sam's. She's praying to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and almost instantly that prayer is answered. How many people that you have no idea what's happening in their life, inside of their mind, are throwing up Hail Mary prayers to the Lord, and you just might be right there in that moment, right there in that moment, able to do something to confirm for that person that God is real, and he does love you. You see, God does all kinds of stuff like this, but he's not just going to drop random things out of the materialized, out of the clear blue sky. No, he put you in that person's path with the resources, whatever they might be, of your time, encouragement, treasure, talent, what have you, for that specific reason. Like, this is... This is what Paul's saying if you slow down and let yourself think about what it means about these opportunities that we could have to share small tastes of God's grace. And up to this point, I've not talked about a church program. I've not talked about anything that Pastor Frank or Mark or anyone need to set up for anyone. These are moments happening in your everyday life, and you have been empowered by God the Holy Spirit to be attentive, and to be attuned to these things. But what I also love about the Apostle Paul, and we're going to come to the end of our verse here. What I love about Paul is is he's so realistic. I mean, he was like in prison. He was beaten up. I mean, he suffered for his faith so much, and he gets it. And what he says here is, so we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, and he ends it with that we should walk in them. God is not going to force any one of us to grace bomb anybody. (laughs) And that's kind of how God rolls. However, Paul knows that we should walk in them because there is a deep and lasting joy that resides on the other side of a step of obedience. Like some of us in our Christian life, we may be like, yeah, I love the music. I love the songs. I'm pumped up. I'm hyped. How come when I walk out of here, it starts to fade all the way down until I come back next Sunday? Like where's the joy that I hear and get to sing about? For many of us, the joy is just on the other side of a step of faith. But that's difficult because steps of faith means we got to get out of our comfort zone. we got to get uncomfortable for a minute. And if you're anything like me, I like my church bubble. Don't mess with me outside of my church bubble, strangers. You know what I'm saying? This is my mentality. So this is difficult. But there is a joy, and there is a peace that comes when we can take action to the things that that we know to be true. 
And the Bible is not silent on the fact that we should be carrying out these good works. So you can look these up later, but let me just rattle a few off for you. We're told to abound in good works, to be fruitful in good works, to be zealous for good works, that our good works are like a sacrifice, an offering to the Lord, and even our testimony to the onlooking world. And any time we're talking about good works, we have to let Jesus weigh in here. When he says, you are the light of the world. I mean, this is audacity. I understand when Jesus in John chapter 8 stands up in front of a bunch of people and says, I am the light of the world. Anybody who comes to me is not going to walk in darkness. He's going to have the light of life. Of course, he can say that. He's God. But then in the Sermon on the Mount, in this text right here, he turns right squarely at us, points his finger at us, and says, you are the light of the world. Well, what is he talking about? Well, here's the passage. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, kind of apropos for this geographical setting, actually, I'd say. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Okay, Jesus, what's my light? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven jesus says i want you to live in a way where people are going to feel and experience light in their life because you're doing awesome things for them and they're going to put two and two together and they're going to give me glory for that and this is how this situation works now let me remind you, because we're familiar with this, right? We grow up with this, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, you know, the, the, the song, that one, okay? That song, however it goes, and again, I'm sorry, if you love that song and I just destroyed it, my bad, so I'm on bad footing with you guys and the truck people, or, and the minivan people also, so let's see who else I can alienate before the next 10 minutes here. <laughs> But one thing about light, a couple things actually to remember, light gives warmth and light points people to reality. Light feels good. Let me put it this way. There is a, there's a river down where we live about an hour away, the Severn River, and our family is actually members of a pool that's like next to a community pool that's next to the Severn River, and there's this crazy phenomenon that happens with this pool. And at the end of the season, the pool gets freezing cold, frigid, but it's crystal clear and beautiful and chlorinated and the whole nine. But the Severn River, at the end of the season, it, I mean, they're putting like, you know, warnings for flesh-eating bacteria, like don't get in there. But it's warm, it's like 85 degrees because the pool's shaded and the thing, and the river's been warmed up all summer. And we take the kids down at the end of the season and we give them the option, 10 times out of 10, the kids will go over to the pool, dip their toe in and say, uh-uh, I'm not going in there. That is cold. And they will run down to the river, jump into the river, throw caution to the wind. One kid's gurgling the water, spitting it to another kid's mouth. This is like true story. This is just how they roll. Why? Because warmth feels good. They want to wrap themselves around in it. Light feels good. Grace should feel feel that way, we have to ask the question when we rub shoulders with the onlooking world, the neighbors all around us, is that their experience with the church, with us? 
most people's experience with the church or church people is kind of like the cold, frigid pool. Like, uh, cold, judgmental, hypocritical, not going in there. And this is true. But it is our birthright to drive the conversation of kindness in the world today. Because this is God's leading edge. The sun is rising, the rains are falling on the good and the evil. God leads out with kindness, and we get to as well, and that should feel good. Light also reveals truth. And we're not just talking about good works for the sake of being good people. We're talking about good works for the sake of the creator, the source of kindness to get the credit as well. So that's about as far as we're going to get in the scriptures because I just want to pause here uh, for a reality check. Because for most of us, it's like, yeah, this is just good, you know, heartwarming. This is, this is what I want to be about. That sounds good, Pat. You know, it affirms what I learned growing up. And, and amen and high five. Love your neighbor. Let your light shine. Walk in those good works. They're simple ideas. They're heartwarming ideas. But... I can tell you these things can be some of the very hardest things to put into practice in everyday life. And I thought about a couple reasons why, actually, just last night as we were at the Best Western checked in at the hotel last night. And the first thing I thought was, you know what, why this is hard? Because we're busy. We're busy running around, doing the next thing, moving to the next thing, checking the box off the list. In America, busyness is almost an idol. Like, if you, if you hang out with somebody, you haven't seen them in a while, what do they typically say when you say, how are you? They'll say, I'm good, but I'm good, but busy. You know, we're busy. It's almost like I'm not going to tell you I'm not busy because I'm going to look bad if I'm not busy. I'm not going to tell you that I took a nap, a two-hour nap earlier while you were in your second overtime shift at work and I was at home taking a nap. That's not going to fly. We do keep busy. We move on to the next thing. And it could be so easy to pass through life not realizing all of those opportunities around us. That's one reason. Another reason kind of personal to me is I'm an introvert. Now, you may be like, Pat, you're not an introvert. You're up there talking. You're doing this talk. Guys, it's just me up here. <laughs> it's just me in a five-foot square. I'm not hanging out with you. I'm not in the crowd right now. I'm an introvert. When you put me into real life and everyday people, I am a huge disappointment. <laughs> people are like, where's that guy we saw up there? Well, this guy had like 10 hours of quiet time to think about what he was going to say, and nobody was messing with him, and that's his happy space. I'm an introvert, and it can be really hard to engage with a neighbor in real life. The other thing about me is I grew up in this little town down in... Uh, about an hour and a half away, called Glen Burnie. There's some great, well, there's great things about Glen Burnie, but there's also not great things about Glen Burnie. And I lived in an area where it was not great things. And what I was told was, your neighbors and those strangers are danger. And that was instilled in me. So when I talk about neighbors, I'm like, oh, those are people you don't mess with. You just keep to your own little crew. You don't mess with anybody else. You're going to get ripped off, you know, all of this stuff. It's this perpetual thing. And that was ingrained in me, so it can be difficult. And the fourth and perhaps most convicting, and this hit me about a month ago because I had a good friend say this. He said, you might not, be, you might not care about those neighbors <laughs> because you've grown cold with Jesus. And that one kind of hit the heart 
Because you can like still show up to church and still be cold with Jesus. Because the reality is when you look into the scriptures of where Jesus is going and was always going, he was constantly going to the lost. He wasn't hanging out with the happy church people. He was continually going to the people who were estranged and far off and in need and friends, spiritually speaking, so many of our neighbors are there in spiritual need, in despair, even though they might seem like they have it all together. And that's a heart check because my, my distance from my neighbor might actually have to do with my distance from my everyday walk with Jesus. So it's just a couple of things to, to check in on the heart level. So guys, this is where this proposition, I'm going to introduce this tool to you before we wrap up and pray, of Grace Bomb comes in. So a couple years ago, we just thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was a way to help break the ice with our neighbors and gently point them to Jesus if we're shy, introverted, the whole nine busy, and these little Grace Bomb cards are a part of that movement. You guys are going to receive these when you leave. You're going to get a little stack of Grace Bomb cards, this little cartoon Grace Bomb on one side, and it says, for your neighbor, you've been grace bombed on the other. These little cards do a couple of things. They remind us that we've been grace bombed. We've been blessed. We are loved tremendously. That we have neighbors in need. That Brad Pitt might be here. That we have to be looking around for what God might have in store. These are reminders, but they also go along with your surprising gift of your time, treasure, encouragement, talent, whatever it might be. Because if that neighbor is startled, interested, or intrigued, it's a no-strings-attached scenario. They just got to be blessed and feel the love. But when they go to gracebomb.org, they see a simple message. that This wasn't a random act of kindness. This was from Jesus. So if you're watching online, you can go to gracebomb.org, and we will send you these. These are free. We give these out all over the country. There is a movement afoot. But let me show you what your neighbor will see if they take the second and they go to gracebomb.org and like, what just happened? What was this? This is the main thing that they're going to see. So take a quick look at this. So that's what a neighbor will see if they take the two seconds to go on their phone and be like, what was that? And you might be thinking, well, do I need a grace bomb card just to share the love of Jesus? No, we're not, we're not saying that. However, 
These can be atrophied muscles, and think about it this way. If loving your neighbor is supposed to be like riding a bike, these guys are like training wheels. These can help you get in the game. You don't always need them, but I can tell you for me when I have them, makes it a pretty fun proposition, especially if I grace bomb someone and then I don't get the chance to say, hey, like there's a God who loves you. I know that at least there's an opportunity for them to hear that. So here's the instruction manual for grace bombing. Three simple steps. Load, listen, and let her go. Loading is making the decision to grab a couple of these cards and keeping them, keeping them on you. Like, that's actually a decision. That's a decision to say, you know what? I'm going to be a, more aware of my neighbor. The grace bomb guy said take some cards. I might leave them, save them for later. If you take them, you're basically saying, okay, God, maybe you're going to have something for me. So you want to load. Then you want to listen. And when I say listen, I want, I, what I really mean is pay attention to that tug on your heart, that nudge on your heart. Remember, friends, the power of God resides in the people of God because therein lies the Spirit of God. And the third member of the Trinity has taken up residence in our souls as brothers and sisters in Christ. And just as we sung earlier, that resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us to illuminate his scriptures and to put people on our hearts to say, this could be an amazing opportunity to drop some grace. And so listen to those promptings. Listen to those nudges. Because if I'm honest, I probably ignore more of those than I actually listen to. And then the third thing is actually the hardest part. That's to let her go. Because you can have a card, you can have a great idea, you can see this person, and all of a sudden it's like, bam, this would be amazing, and wouldn't this be cool, and who's going to be around? It doesn't really matter. And and then I just kind of back away and don't do it. But taking that step of faith, man, that's where it gets good. And please, please, please don't underestimate what you think could just be just this small little thing that you might do for someone. Because when we hear from the neighbors that you're grace bombing, it's as if they've never met another decent human being <laughs> in their life. Because so many of the responses are, this has never happened to me. Why did this just happen? Why did you do this? I can't believe this happened. And then others would say, oh, so this is like a God thing? This is a Christian thing? I, and they're just, you're starting to open people's eyes to who God really is. His magnificent kindness, his amazing grace, it's got to be delivered sometimes very tangibly and practically. And this is not a random acts of kindness movement because there's nothing random when it comes to Jesus. This is a movement of obedience to the King of kings and Lord of lords who told us to love our neighbor, to let our light shine. This is what this is, and this is what we get to be a part of. And could you imagine what could happen in Carroll County if all of us started to see and listen and take these small everyday steps of faith? Could you imagine the buzz and the chatter and the curiosity and the impact and the love that this body could have on this county? I think it would be far more amazing and incredible than all you could ask or think. And it doesn't just happen when, you know, the guy who 
brought grace bomb, grace bomb somebody. It happens when all of us together take these everyday steps of faith. So I want to invite you all to this movement, not a program, not something that, you know, I have to do because it's this church thing. I want to invite you to walk in your purpose as a grace-built person meant to grace bomb people. Now, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up. So wherever you all are at, you guys can come up. I'm going to pray. But before I do, I want to add one little layer of accountability. And let me tell you what would bless my heart, truly. Um, If you felt like this was a good sermon, and afterward you're like, if I see that guy, I want to tell him that was a good sermon. Please don't do that. If you felt like this was a good sermon, the best thing you could do is to get your grace bomb on and carry it out in your real life. But here's how you can let me know. And here's a little verse to put in your mind. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good works. I would love to hear and also give you a little added accountability of how it went in your attempt to grace bomb somebody. Maybe the idea that you had, maybe the situation, maybe, maybe the, rea- the reaction, maybe if you just straight fell on your face and failed, I would love to hear about it. So gracebomb.org is very simple. People see that message. They can get some cards, but they can also share their story, and I love to hear yours. So how about that? How about we take a step of faith, you let me know how it goes, and we get on with our birthright to drive the cultural conversation of kindness in the world today. So Heavenly Father, to that end, we ask that you would empower us. To that end, we ask that you would send us from this place in a posture of full surrender to your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the good reminder that we are a new creation in Christ, that we have been brought out from death into life, and that you then send us in this world with this crazy proposition that you've created people for us to run into and bump into and live next to. And then in those intersections, perhaps, we would take small steps of faith to let those people know that they are seen and that they are loved. Would you send us with this purpose to accomplish your will for our good and for your glory and all God's people said,